What's going on, coaches? Hopefully everyone's doing well. Uh, I just got back from Texas. Me and my son got to go to the uh, Texas State Championship. We went and watched Southlake versus Westlake. Got to go with one of my uh, college roommates, my college quarterback, David Pylon. So uh, big thanks to him uh, for getting us some tickets and letting us go down there. Unbelievable stadium, obviously. Really, really cool atmosphere. So uh, we had a blast getting to watch the end of high school football in Texas and now we're ready to get after some podcasts. So uh, excited about what we're going to be doing this offseason. If you guys need anything from us, go check us out at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all, we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Steve Martin. Coach Martin is the head coach at Wichita Northwest High School in Wichita, Kansas. Listen as we talk with Wichita Northwest's unusual fight to begin the season, as well as their high-scoring offense under Coach Martin and chaos-causing defense under Coach Mark Marinelli. We also talk about some ways to get your running backs involved in the passing game, too. You can follow Coach Martin on Twitter at Coach S. Martin. Hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, you know, for us, you know, when we were able to get cleared and we were able to start at least conditioning in June, I mean, the first day we had 108 kids. And for us, you know, it's 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 not rare for us to have good numbers, but having 108 on the first day was mind-blowing for us. And so, 
you know, my, our take was it was that kids were just sick of being home since March and they didn't care what they were doing. You could run them into the ground and they didn't care. They were going to show up. And, you know, our numbers were great all summer. And um, just simply because our kids wanted something to do, you know, when you got them shut in and stuff, especially being where we're located and in inside the Wichita school and in our Wichita public schools, it was, they just needed an outlet. And, and we were providing that, whether that was two hours a day or an hour a day, we were providing them something kind of a safeguard to go to. And so, you know, our numbers actually were really good right away. And then, uh, you know, we, we looked, you always have that drop off, but you know, we carried into the summer, um, going into August and we were able to start, you know, practice for the first four days and our numbers had not dropped. And, uh, you know, we then hit that, you know, lull in our schedule where, you know, we, uh, well, not we, <laughs> our district decided that, hey, they didn't care about the recommendations and they didn't care that our rival and private school right down the road, Bishop Carroll, was was playing literally like 0.5 miles away and they shut us down for 10 days. And so, you know, for me, you know, I'm, you know, if you know me, I'm, I'm very outspoken. I, I grew up to the youngest of eight, so I'd have a big loud voice to get heard around my family. And I mean, I wasn't going to sit there and take it, you know, I, uh, you know, I have had opportunities to leave the public school here in Wichita, you know, to go to some good programs that, um, you know, don't have the same type of kid I have. And when I talk about the same type of kid I have is socioeconomic. And, you know, I left the school even before I came to Northwest in Wichita Heights, who, you know, are, are, we had low socioeconomic numbers. And when I came to Northwest, I didn't feel like these kids needed me as much as my kids at Heights. But, you know, our change uh, in Wichita is, it's happening rapidly. I mean, we went from 30% free and reduced meals to, I believe we're at like 79%. And uh, in the little of nine years that I've been there. And so you know, my kids need me. And, and that's why I go out and hire the staff I do because whether it's COVID, whether it's, you know, a kid, we, we lost a kid this summer, our kids need us. And, and we kind of serve as the, uh, the normalcy in our kids' lives. And so when COVID and all that stuff, man, it was, simply about retaining numbers and having fun. And, and we thought we did a good job of that. Coach, I know you, you know, head coach here at, at Wichita Northwest, and, and we kind of know you through, you know, Coach Marinelli has been a guy that's that's been on, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, kind of adding him to your staff, what he brings to your staff. You know, you, you see a lot of the, you know, obviously he's a good defensive mind, but you also see him, you know, volunteering in the off season to go, you know, drive bus and, and deliver meals to a lot of those kids and families like you're talking about. Uh, you know, they, they need to have that service. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I go way back with Coach Marinelli. Mer Coach, uh, we both graduated in 99. We actually played against each other, um, him going to high school at Mulvane. And, you know, we didn't know each other from that manner. I mean, when you're a high school kid, I never really cared. And I, to this day, I have a hard time with names anyway. I kind of remember good numbers and stuff of the teams we play. I, if you told me we played so-and-so, I'd be like, who's that? What number was he? And I could tell you. But you know, so me and Mark went way back, and actually Mark, when I got introduced to Mark, uh, Mark was coaching at my alma mater, Indo High School, under Gary O'Hare, and, you know, I met Mark, and just being young guys, you know, at the time, I mean, I was 22, 23 years old when I, when I met Mark, um, and he was over at Indo, and I was a head coach at Troy, a uh, really small school up in northeast Kansas, and, you know, our friendship just kind of grew from there, and we always talked, um, we talked ball all the time about defense, and, you know, when Coach reached out to me, and uh, you know, as I have a crossroads, I, I, I didn't know if, if I really, to be honest with you, wanted to coach that much anymore. I was getting burnt out. Um, I felt like I had to do a lot of my own staff. I, uh, 
you know, I hired a bunch of great guys. Don't get me wrong. But if, if you don't hire guys that want to be head coaches, you know, most of the times those guys just want to call X's and O's or they want to know why they're not calling JV offense or why they're not doing that. But, you know, they don't want to throw the laundry in the laundry basket or they don't want to throw it in the washer or the dryer. And so um, I was doing having to do a lot because I'm just not going to delegate and hand over the keys uh, to somebody that I don't know if they're ready for it or not. So, you know, when Mark came on, um, we just got beat in the state championship game. I was worn out. as I, I was exhausted. I literally thought that was our best chance to ever get in a state championship game. We had Brees Hall, um, who's at Iowa State right now, continuing for the Heisman and probably the Doak Walker Award. I Hopefully he's getting pretty close to, to locking that thing up. But, you know, you just have a special kid like that. We averaged 579 yards a game on offense. But here's the deal. In the semifinals, in the quarterfinals that year, we had to win 84 to 67. Literally, we couldn't stop them, and they couldn't stop us. We, uh, oh, dog. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was the craziest thing, man. It was – I mean, you just look at it. You're going back and forth, and I remember at halftime of that game telling my uh, wide receiver coach, Coach Terry Holmes, I said, dude, we're going to have to score 80 to win this game. And, my God, we did because it was 84 to 67. Well, the next week, you know, you play uh, – and that was against our rival Bishop Carroll, who's, you know, a, a blue blood in Kansas for a great high school football. And – you know, the next week we played an up-and-coming, really good tempo team and uh, in Mace High School, who Caleb Grills, a guard at UNLV right now, turning up on the basketball court. And they literally, like, we were up by 19. It was 60. It was, yeah, no, it was 59 to, like, 43. We had a 19-point lead or something. You guys do the math. I'm not a math guy. But uh, we were up by 19 points with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. And we blew the lead. Oh. It was literally 60 to 59. And we scored with 33 seconds left on the clock and went for two and won 67 to 60. And so you're going, holy smokes. Like, you know, a lot of us are brass offensive guys, you know, oh, we can score on anybody. Well, dude, I, if you told me that we'd have to score 84 and 67 uh, back to back in a playoffs to get into a state title game, you know, I would have called you a liar. And then the next week we play St. Thomas Aquinas uh, coached by Randy Dryling, uh, you know, a, a, a firm name in the, in the Kansas ranks of coaches and legends. And, uh, you know, he went out and said this was his best football team, even including the Hutch dynasty that he had in the uh, early 2000s and stuff. And so, you know, we lost to them 49 to 28, you know, because they slowed the ball game. They took the ball away from us and they had a great running back. And so, you know, when Mark contacted me and said, hey, let me come be your defense coordinator, I was like, hell yeah, man, let's go. Hey, come take half this responsibility away from me. You know, I was easy giving away. But, you know, when you can give that away to a quality man like Mark, um, who kids just love to death, you know, Mark just having fun. He gets to be who he is. He doesn't have to put on the head coach hat. He literally gets to be the mad scientist of what he is. He gets to be that goofball, that guy that just loves to have fun, man. And, you know, if he asked you and if you asked him, it, I think it's kind of resurrected his coaching career. I think we're both in the same areas in 2018 where we're both tired meant we might as well I don't know if we were having too much fun but we felt like the weight of the world was on each other and so it's like it's just kind of one of those things where I don't even consider myself the head coach anymore you know yes I am by you know name I've been there since 2012 as a head coach but really to have one of your best friends on there and coaching with you um, and with the type of mastermind he has on the defense side of ball man we have a lot of fun and uh, it, it's great to have him on staff. 
Well, Coach, we normally do this at the, at the beginning of, of the podcast, but since we already started rolling, I didn't want to stop to, to keep going. But uh, go ahead, just for the people that maybe don't know you as well, uh, kind of give us a, a quick little, um, you know, football journey, football background of you, uh, you know, playing days to coaching and, and how it did bring you to uh, where you are now. Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in a, in a small uh, Catholic community right outside of Wichita, Kansas, and Andale, and uh luckily my mom you know was a was a wife of a uh a farmer and so she you know her job was to raise kids and and, and cook and so to make some extra money for herself and to help put some food on the table maybe during some slow months my mom drove the bus and she was the bus driver for our high school football team and so i was able to ride on the team bus since i was you know four or five years old and man that's that's all i knew i thought it was so cool to sit up in the front seat you know coach mckee was my head coach at the time, um, and he was the head coach when I was a little guy. And so I got to sit across from Coach McKee and just kind of watch what he did all the time and how he talked to kids and how he treated kids. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, it wasn't long before I started grabbing a notebook and started di- diagramming plays and, and and all this stuff as a fifth and sixth grader. My mom uh, kept a notebook she found. It was funny before she passed away, and I wish I would have kept this notebook. I don't know where it is, but, you know, I had pages and pages of, wishbone and broken bone and and double split wishbone plays drawn up and then I had some shotgun plays in there and you know it was just really cool because of the the type of impact that coach McKee had on me and so I knew I wanted to be a coach and so everything since then was I wanted to learn and so I went to Andale graduated in 99 went on played college I would never consider myself a talented football player I put I think I gave great effort I had a great motor and I went on and and started two years at Bethel, Kansas at NAI school, and we were not very good. But I had the luxury of playing for two gentlemen and Clint Brown. He's now the defense coordinator at Stephen F. Austin uh, down there in Texas. And uh, Mike Moore, who played for K-State and played for Bill Schneider. And, you know, just two remarkable men that I could go and literally, you know, get a second perspective and see how they handle things. And so my thing in college was I wanted to play for the networking. Um, you know, I kind of went to school for a business. I guess you could say, but um, that led me. I I took a job right out of college, uh, Troy High School, and I was up there for four years. And, man, you you realize how dumb you are when you're 22 years old and you're coaching 18-year-olds and you're the head coach and you replaced a legend there in Don Cash. And Don was the principal there. And, man, he used to ridicule me all the time. That's how I started shaving my head. I showed up after I got hired the first day ready to work uh, before the season started. Uh, well, actually, not before the season started, but before summer uh, restrictions started. And he goes, man, no one's going to take you seriously with a haircut like that, you know. And uh, I shaved my head, and I've been shaving my head ever since then. But, uh, you know, those four years were great, man. We won a lot of games. Um, I was just a kid, and I had a lot of kids ra- – had a lot of parents raise me up there um, as I was coached to their young men. And, um, you know, I my mom passed away Thanksgiving morning on my fourth year at Troy, and it literally devastated me. And – you know, I, I wouldn't say I went into depression mode, but I was a mama's boy and uh, I wanted to get back to a family and I wanted my kids to grow up around my brothers and sisters and, and their other side of the family, my, my wife's Natalie's family's around the Wichita area as well. So I wanted to get back and, you know, the only job at the time, no one would hire this 2A football coach. You know, I won one thirty one and 11, you know, a lot of people, you know, big deal. It's a 2A, 1A school. And the only job they had open was a 6A defense coordinator job at Wichita Heights, which was ran by Rick Wheeler, who ran uh, Flexbone and was kind of up and coming. They lost in the semis the year before, or no, excuse me, they lost in the first round after being ranked number one and two the whole season. And 
Um, Rick took a chance on me because he knew some of my coaches at uh, Andel, such as Gary O'Hare, who Mark coached for, and Ted Easter, and some of these guys, and they put in a good word for me. And, you know, I went to Heights for three years as their D.C., and, man, just magic stat. We had, you know, Perry Ellis was in our high school, Evan Wessel, who played basketball at Wichita State, um, Jimmy Smith, who went on to play at West Virginia. We had Division One wrestlers and Matt Reed, who went to Oklahoma to wrestle, uh, Daniel DeShazer. Uh, we just had so much talent in that three-year span that, you know, we went to the state title game all three years as the D.C. there. It's the best heist has ever done. Um, we won one. We choked one. And we got our tails kicked in on one. But that kind of catapulted, catapulted me to the Northwest job. And, you know, I've been ever here since 2012. And, you know, we're trying to find a way to win that elusive state title. So we've been in the state title game the past three years. We are in the semis four years ago. And, you know, we keep running into very good teams such as St. Thomas Aquinas and Mill Valley with Joel Appleby. So, you know, that's kind of my background. So, Coach, you make it You make it there, like you said, several times now, and, and I'm sure those are uh, – we've only made it twice. We won it once and we, we lost it once, uh, at least I have. And, and, you know, the ones that you lose, obviously, to me anyways, I think were kind of harder on me than when we lost first round of the playoffs. I mean, it, it's, it's a, obviously a crushing thing. How long – how long do you have to wait till you can watch the film? Or, I mean, are you watching it the next day? Do you have to give yourself a couple of weeks? How, how long till you're watching that? And then how much are you, how much stake are you putting into that championship game for your next season? Um, or is it so different because you're getting different kids that, that you try not to pay too much attention to the last year final game? Well, you know, in 2018, man, we were, we were happy to be there. Um, you know, I, we knew what Aquinas had. I think they had like nine kids signed Division One scholarships that year. Um, we had Brees. You know, we thought that we could give them a run. But at the end of the day, we just couldn't control the line of scrimmage. And we saw that on film. So, you know, you kind of lose the game. And they beat you 49-28. And you go, you know what? We're going to get back. You know, we have a great team coming back in 18. We're going to get back there and we're going to beat them. You know, we're going to beat someone. So, all year long, you know, we're ready to play Aquinas. They were losing all those players. It was going to be a rubber match. And, you know, you, our kids focused. Our kids were getting back to That's all they talked about. We had great leadership. And then uh, they get upset in the semis to Mill Valley. And our kids are like, huh, who's Mill Valley? And even though Mill Valley had a great program, Joe Appleby has done a phenomenal job um, turning that thing around. And, you know, we end up going and we were tied up with six minutes. Actually, might have been five minutes. We're tied up 31-31. Um, we punt the ball and they may break off a long run and end up scoring and uh, kicking the field goal later. So it's 40-31. You look back and, you know, Mark took that very personally. They, they came out in 12 personnel, which they only showed 1% of the time. We literally had two cards of 12 personnel all week and all the cards that Mark had made from inside run to fit drill to seven on seven to team. We literally had two cards because we never saw it. And so, you know, we felt like, okay, Joel did a good job. They outcoached us. We're going to get to work as a staff, you know, and that's where last offseason we had all these reports. You know, if you follow Coach Marinelli, you know, this year he's got 65 reports of, you know, of every situation, personnel grouping, offense that we've seen. And, you know, we went to work on ourselves last year. It's pretty gratifying um, to see that process of our staff really tighten the screws. And then this year, you know, we're rolling. Our kids are mad. You know, our kids are pissed off. And, you know, there's only one thing that they want to do. They don't care about playing football. They want to win, and they want to get back and play Mill Valley. They got something to prove, and, you know, we get there, and, you know, the game's evenly matched. It was similar last year. The game's tied. Six minutes left in the game. They score. 
Um, we come down. We we had three turnovers in the game. They turn it over one time, led by a very good quarterback. Um, we go for it on fourth and one, and they stop us. They score like eight plays later to take the lead and and go on to win the game. Um, man, what well, forty nine to thirty five? So you know to talk about it. I came back and watched the film that night. I mean, I'm pissed. Our whole staff's pissed. And so, wow. you, you know, we're, we're – I mean, because we felt like – we felt like we didn't play very good as, as as our kids were able to. We felt like maybe coaches-wise, we, we could have changed a couple things in the course of the game. So, you know, you're mad. And, and, and to be honest with you, I'm one of those coaches that as soon as the season's over, I'll run the reports and stuff, but I won't stew over it. I won't start moving depth chart. All that stuff till January. I got, you know, I got to kind of decompress, especially off of this season with COVID. And mm. man, I, we're not, we're not doing that. It's completely opposite. We're pissed. And, you know, we got a, six guys back on offense and three guys back on defense next year. So we know we have our work cut out for us, but, you know, we're going to keep chasing that elusive state title because not because I care about the ring or the plaque. I think we just do kids. I think that the journey of trying to win that state championship and having your kids put the, put it out there. You know, so many kids now um, are guarded in that they don't want to just go for it because they're, fa- they're afraid of failing. And so our big mission is that we're trying to get kids to go get that, reach for the stars, shoot for the stars, go get it. You know, and if you fail, get your butt back up and go chasing it again. And, and that's kind of what we're, you know, running with right now, you know, but our guys are angry. You know, I've had a couple of great friends of mine um, call me Marv Levy. Um, so uh, I, that kind of has put a little fire under my butt, you know, and, you know, I, I guess that's a compliment because their asses haven't been there and, that's right. and they won't, they haven't touched that, even been close to that. So, you know, for me, it's kind of that thing where a little salt in the wound that, that reminds me every day to get to work. And, you know, so we're, we got a little chip on our shoulder and uh, you know, I don't know if we'll have the talent to be back in the state title game, but you know what? Our kids think they do. And, and that's all that matters. When your kids believe you always have a chance. Coach, can you talk a little bit more? I know you touched on it early, but, you know, you guys, you know, thinking you're going to be able to play, and then they pull the rug out from underneath you. You know, talk about, you know, how you guys kind of went about, you know, fighting for it. I know I saw a lot of the, the stuff on social media and was super supportive. I know in Iowa yeah. and, and Oklahoma, you know, we never got, you know, shut down. It was kind of – we got lucky. We were in places that were, were really saw the benefits of football and were like, kids need to be out and doing this. They knew we, we try to make it as safe as we can. And then at the end of the day, right, we, we get to see all the fruits of that labor for your kids. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for them to be like, man, we fought, we won, yeah. and now we're going to get a chance to do the thing we love. Yeah. No, you know, I, I, I don't know how you guys were, but, you know, we get, we get shut down on, God, like the 10th or maybe the 14th of March, you know. And for me, I'm going, man, you know, extra spring break, you know. I, uh, I'm going to have me a couple <laughs> yeah. beverages and I'm going to have a couple beverages and fire up the smoker a little bit earlier this uh, spring and summer. And I'm going to, you know, hang out with my kids and, you know, I'll do the little stuff we were supposed to do on uh, <laughs> online with the teaching and stuff. But, you know, it gave us a chance to work as a staff from Zooms, you know, because, you know, we didn't know what to believe with COVID. But, you know, everything that they told us leading up to May was, hey, Steve, if you do this, if you sanitize and you got your kids doing this and you keep everybody social distance and you do this and this, you know, we took that personally, you know, me and Mark sat there and rechanged how we were stretching, how we lifted, how we lined up in, in the gym, on the field, how we coached, 
how we moved everybody to contact trace everybody. I mean, we put so much time into our practice and how we were going to do everything that, you know, we were like, you know what, we're going to be fine. Um, nothing's going to happen. And that's the same thing the district always told us, guys, if you keep on doing this, you're going to get a play. So we're, everything's great. Um, a week before they actually shut us down, we had our coaches meeting and, you know, at the time now I'm in the, in the public schools being nine years in, I've been the letter the longest. And so, you know, sometimes you got to have a voice. And so, you know, I just told our district AD at the time, I said, Jay, I said, man, if you guys are going to shut us down, shut us down tonight. Don't let us start practicing with these kids because it's going to rip their hearts out. Stop us today. Do not let us go out there and even put our helmets on Monday. Stop it tonight. And so, you know, he kind of just kind of him hummed around, you know, and he goes, I, Coach, I don't know what's going on. And then we practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And Thursday night, our Board of Education uh, pulled out this whole new gating criteria that the Kansas State Department of Education um, pulled out and said, oh, according to the Kansas State Department of Education, you guys cannot practice because you're high risk. And uh, you talk about going for a ride. I got in my truck and just drove. Um, you know, we had a lot of things flash in our mind. I lost a kid um, that was away from college uh, at Northwestern up in Iowa. Uh, lost a kid in May, end of May, early June of a senseless shooting. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I credit that because he wasn't at school. And for me, at, for me, it was simply because these kids were having too much time. And when you got 108 kids going to workouts um, at Northwest and you look at Heights High School, who has 70 kids, East High School, who has 60, 70 kids, Southeast, West, you know, you have all these kids that need outlets and you need all this time. And I'm going, my God, you just got, you're just throwing these kids out in the streets. And uh, my message to my staff that night was like, I'm fighting. And we actually, uh, you know, I probably got in big trouble with this, but my AD kind of looked the other way is we scheduled a practice on Friday for our kids. Our kids went out there and played seven on seven and ran practice. And I sat out there in my truck and watched them. And it was like there was no coaching staff out there coaching them, that they were so ingrained of doing things the right way that they were out there practicing by themselves, man. And I started getting teary-eyed that Friday. Well, we turned around and had a scrimmage Saturday. And I didn't care. It was probably illegal by us, probably by our district. But what I wanted to do is we had a scrimmage where it's full contact. We wanted every senior to get film on us um, so that we could start sending out recruiting. Because, you know, at the time, we didn't know if they were going to overturn it or not. And so, you know, man, I that's the first time I've cried in front of a bunch of high school kids. But you know, I just wanted to show them that I loved them. And, and uh, I really wanted to put myself out there to just let them know how much they meant to me and how much losing that game. And at that moment, you know, in 2018, when I thought, you know, I was done coaching, you know, my wife laughed at me uh, that day. And she goes, man, and you were thinking about quitting and getting out of the game. And I said, yeah, that'll, that'll never happen. But, you know, we went to fight. And, uh, you know, I told Mark, I said, you know, Mark, I go, we have a lot of friends from all over the, you know, the states, you know, and, in uh, out in California and Oregon and the East Coast, down south in Texas, Oklahoma, and uh, I bet you if they fired us, we could go get an assistant job real quick. And uh, I said, I don't care if I lose my job. <laughs> That's right. And uh, you know, it was crazy. Uh, Joel Appleby, who we ended up uh, losing to in the state title game, called me 
And I told him clear as day, I said, if they don't let us play, I'm resigning. Uh, because that's, that's not what I represent. And he's like, oh, coach, come on. I said, no, Appleby, I swear to God, if they're not going to let us play, I'm going to resign because what a travesty to not even let these kids get a chance to even play before supposedly something's going to go wrong with COVID. And, uh, you know, I always told Mark, a dangerous guy is a person that's not afraid to lose their job. And that's kind of the mentality we went with in the next eight days leading up to that. I mean, we were on Facebook and, man, I thought I was going to get called in the superintendent's office and get fired for for us basically starting a riot um, with a lot of people. And, you know, I felt it was right. I felt like our kids have no voice. Mm. You know, other coaches in our district were not saying anything at the time. And, man, I just – I was pissed. You know, I uh, I wanted to give my guys opportunity. The work that they had put in from when we lost um, Thanksgiving weekend in 2019 to the work they did leading up to March and the individual workouts and them having their own seven-on-seven sessions, there was no way I could sit there and just sit in my seat and, and let that happen to our guys. So, you know, we went to bat and they overruled it on a Monday. We got to start practice the next day and we had to, uh, you know, cut our schedule short. Um, but you know what? At least we got to play. So that's where we took COVID and, and we ran with it. And to be honest with you, if you would have told me that, you know, we'd be still playing football uh, Thanksgiving weekend without COVID shutting everybody down, I would have laughed at you. But, you know, we were fortunate enough to play in the state title game two weekends ago and, you know, I think it's going to be one of those things when the kids look back at it, so many life lessons were taught through this season that they'll take away. And, you know, I told them after we lost in the state title game, man, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see where you're going to be 10, 20 years down the road because the lessons that you did and the adversity that you overcame just to play this year was amazing. That's the thing. I mean, you talk about your players going out there and, and doing things on their own. I mean, we, we had a similar class that you know, we were lucky enough to, to win it this year too, but, you know, those kids weren't going to be denied. So you talk about the decisions they were making off the field. You know, they, they were, they were being safer than anybody. You know, they had, they had a bigger cause that they were going to, going to fight for. So, I mean, for, you know, people to make some of those decisions, I mean, I don't think they'd taken a lot of that into account. These kids were going to be safe. These kids were going to do whatever it took. These kids were going to be, you know, compliant. And for, for them to not even give some, some of these places a chance to me is the most asinine part of the whole thing. Well, the thing that really pisses you off, though, Brady, is that you had people out there looking to find ways for us to fail. You had people uh -huh. trying to, if, if you didn't have your mask on right, if you didn't have your mask on when you were talking to someone eight feet away, they were taking pictures of you and putting you on social media and, you know, taking shots at your character and all this is like, dude, like we're fighting for high school kids. We're fighting for kids, not ourselves. I mean, the, well, the, that's why I told my kids all the time is the world's going to go around and I'm going to get a coach next year. Some of you guys, I don't know if you're going to get to be able to play college football. Um, you know, you might get hurt tomorrow. You might get in a car wreck tonight. Um, so our thing was just like, it was just amazing about society during this whole thing about how nasty people can be uh, when you're trying to do good because they're trying to find a fault and everything on you. And we talked about that all the time. It's like, hey, anytime you're out in public and you got to wear a Northwest football shirt, you better have your mask on because someone's going to try to make an example out of you. And my God, for you to have to talk about that to, to 15, 16, 17-year-old kids is embarrassing. Yeah, I, it, I can't even imagine it. We, we, they're, they're you know, getting ready to go to remote. So we did remote for two weeks here. It just, it just ended this last week. But there was, there was actually like staff members and teachers claiming that the reason we were waiting as long to go remote was because the football team had to be able to play in the finals. That was like an actual statement that people were saying to us and saying to other people. It's like, really? 
That's the only reason why they're doing this. I mean, people are that like deep rooted, you know, hatred or, or against you. It, it just makes you wonder, man. And, and at the end of the day, though, you know, you talk about the positives. I can talk about the positive. I mean, our community, it did come together. You know, it, it, the yeah. state championship and go to those games made everybody happy during a time of extreme sadness. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we started out even playing the, the four games. We had a six-game schedule. Normally we have eight before they seed us and go into playoffs. So we had six games. The first four games, well, one, two, no, first three games we had no fans. And, uh, you know, our kids didn't care. You know, did it suck? Yeah, I mean, at Northwest we have a good following. Um, our parents love to go. But, you know, our, our kids had to cheer for each other, you know, on the sidelines. You know, fortunately, you know, we had a good offense this year and a good defense where – you know, a lot of the scores are really lopsided, so we got to play a lot of young kids. But, you know, it's fun just watching our kids cheer for each other and be out there because, you know, they did win. Whether we were going to win a state title or not, you know, my guys are champions um, just for fighting and how they battled. And, man, it was just so fun getting those guys together and, and really letting them be kids because that's what it was all about is giving these guys an outlet because we were remote. We're still remote. We, I haven't been in a physical classroom since May, you know, spring break last year, 19. So, you know, for our kids to, to uh, check in every day and get good grades because we hold our kids to standard, we have an F list, you know, and that's not hard to, that's not hard to get an F on a remote learning because, you know, I can look over at my couch and go, man, I could love to teach from my couch today. Or, you know, I could go put my laptop in bed and uh, teach from my bed, you know. So <laughs> for our guys to do what they did and, and be able to play, man, we're just happy and proud. I would say, you know, we did, we had to go remote there for a while too. And it's something that, that you don't think about often, but man, it is hard for a lot of those kids, um, especially the ones I think that aren't playing football to get on and, and do all their coursework. I mean, because it's hard at home and especially when you're a 17, 18 year old kid, it's hard to do that and not do any, you, you could be doing whatever else you wanted to do. Uh, and so it was like you say, it's extremely important to keep your eye on those kids uh, those football kids, and because they were in football, I know several, several of our kids that had they not been in football, they'd have been failing four or five classes uh, with it being virtual. It's tough enough for them to go every day when they were in person, and now when they were virtual during those times, um, it, it was going to be even harder. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of teachers around the, the state, uh, country, I'm sure everywhere, that um, to me aren't giving some of these kids a benefit of the doubt of, how difficult it probably is at home with, you know, some kids having jobs and, and brothers and sisters and everyone else trying to use the internet and uh, just so many, it, it is difficult. Uh, so it was nice to be able to keep an eye and help those kids out. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, I got, you know, I have three of my young ones and, you know, freshman in high school, a sixth grader and a fourth grader. And, you know, lucky my K through five student, uh, she didn't go remote till last week, but, you know, I, I see the kind of things that's happening to my oldest one, um, you know, and, you know, high school, you're supposed to be able to find out who you are and go make relationships and, you know, go find out who you are. And she's stuck at home hanging out with dear old dad. <laughs> I feel bad for her, but, you know, hopefully we'll figure this thing out and we can get kids somewhat back to normal, whatever normal is going to be. I, uh, you know, I, I just hope we can figure this thing out soon because, I think a lot of our kids are getting pushed to the wayside because a lot of those teachers don't understand. Like you said, it's, it's hard to get a connection. The connection to your school and community starts in education. It doesn't start by going to in a drive through at McDonald's or, 
you know, whatever your, your, your attachment when you first start out in the community is your school. And, you know, our kids haven't been there and, you know, it's not looking too pretty right now. Um, you know, with, with our numbers here in Sedgwick County, our, our numbers, I think at one time were like 24%. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't, I'm not an expert, but you know, I seems, seems funny. There's no flu or nothing going on right now. It's just COVID. So, um, you know, hopefully kids can get back into school because, you know, our kids in Wichita are hurting, especially when, you know, said private school, that's 0.5 miles away is still in school. They, uh-huh. They've never stopped that. So it's like, okay, what's the difference between a private and a public school? What's different between a mile down the road, you know? So, um, you know, and that's where unions, teacher unions come in and can ruin some things. And, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of unions sometimes, but, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get back to normal. That's right. I mean, I I think everyone talks so much about it being for the kids. Uh, I just hope every decision that that is being made is, you know, completely for the kids. Um, uh, Sometimes I think that's said a lot. And then kind of what's best for the the adults or the teachers or the whatever's is what actually ends up happening instead of, you know, the actual, hey, we're doing these things for the kids. And, And who I feel the worst for, Coach, you know, maybe not the worst for, but this group of seniors, what yeah. a, I mean, what a terrible senior year. And like you said, there's, there's states that they didn't play any football. So if you're a late bloomer, that's, you know, an offensive lineman, that's a late bloomer kid that so many of them are offensive linemen. Then you got no senior year. If their coach didn't go get them a spring ball, they got no spring ball. So they got no film to send off to anybody. And I know the NCAA is trying to help college students, but by doing that and, and not counting those years, well, now there's almost, you know, there's, cut down by a tenth of how many scholarships there are out, out there for high school seniors because those colleges aren't moving those seniors out. And so uh, it, it's a really, really bad deal for those seniors. And, and I hope, uh, like you said, ho- hopefully we can help those guys out as much as we can. It sounds like you helped your group out at least a, a ton, at least uh, getting them film and, and letting them, you know, helping them play a season. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is, you know, it never stops with us as a football coach, you know, you're, you go from uh, end of the season, you go from starting your off-season workouts to with your younger guys, and now your senior guys are trying to find them a home. And, you know, we had, we were fortunate enough to have a lot of kids uh, that were offered Division One scholarships this, this off-season. You know, we had seven. One of them left when they shut us down and went to an area suburban school. So, you know, our six guys now that are sitting there with Division One offers, you know, three of them are signing for sure next Wednesday. But you know, those other three kind of have been told, hey, we're going to wait to see what we have uh, scholarship number-wise. So, you know, those guys are starting to get nervous because then, you know, do they go take a Division two offer? Well, then I'm sitting there with my eight guys that have Division two offers, and they're going, well, is this guy going to take my scholarship? And, you know, that's only happening in our high school. And you multiply that by, you know, 237 schools in Kansas, and then you multiply that by 50, you know, states. And right. all of a sudden, man, it's uh, – Kids are going to have to figure out what to do. And if, if you have a good offer, man, and if you're listening to this, you need to jump on your offers now and get your education paid for Because, man, if you wait till January or February, especially if you're an FBS guy or FCS guy, I don't know if you're going to have an offer sitting around. Yeah, that's what we've been, we've been telling all of our kids mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, so, Coach, the, the thing that's been perking my ears up about everything is, is I know we talked about, you know, your last few seasons and all this, and, and you're giving these scores, and you guys are scoring more than 50 points, it sounds like, in almost every game you have. What are you guys doing on offense? Because um, I, I think 
I think I should be doing that because it sounds like you guys are putting a lot of points up on the board. Well, I I have a big background in triple option. I mean, I grew up playing in the wishbone. I grew up coaching. My first job was with a flexbone guy. Um, I taught flexbone my first few years at Troy. Um, my three years at Wichita Heights, I was in a flexbone. But uh, something happened to me in 2007. Um, I had, and actually 2006, I had a great football team. We were smash mouth, uh, belly, triple option, wishbone, double tight, you know, split in. And we played a high school by the name of Washington County and scouting their film. I go, there's no way we're going to lose to these guys. We have them out athleted. You know, we have so many guys in all these areas. Well, they came out and basically, uh, lined up in four wide all night long and ran, uh, the running back and the quarterback on a wildcat kind of offense. I don't even know what you'd call it. I don't even know if coach knows what he would call it back then. But uh, I'm going, I just got beat by one kid. Like one kid, you know, beat us 29 to 28. And we're sitting here licking our wounds and feeling sorry for ourselves. And this one kid beat us. And I'm going, what in the hell? So at the time, Rich Rodriguez started uh, – you know, becoming famous out of West Virginia for what he was doing um, with his inside zone read option game. And, you know, I went, you know, I said, I'm going to study this. And so I spent about the first three, uh, three months after the season looking at this and I go, shit, all that is is option out of the gun. I can run triple option out of the gun. And so, you know, I started running uh, inside zone in 2007 and 2008 and had no outside run game. Um, so building that, you know, I had the opportunity to defend some very good offenses when I was at Heights as defense coordinator, Brandon Clark, who has won, I believe now a sixth state title at Derby. Um, we were playing him in the uh, districts and then in the semifinals every year, we had to play a couple of Tony Franklin coaches. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to be multiple. And so in 13, all I knew was running uh, wristbands and you know, running all these stupid verbiage calls and numbers calls because I was a flexbone guy, so I had everything in numbers. Well, I just got mad because that's when Nebraska started running, you know, bash, and they're running, uh, you know, quarterback zone or uh, stretch read and whatever you want to call it, you know, whether dash and all this, all these other names that everybody wants to call everything fancy. Um, but I ran out of numbers, man. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing because at the time in 2012, we, I think we averaged like 360 yards a game and, you know, maybe maybe 22 points a game. And 13, we had 380 for 29 points. And then 14, we switched. And we did a lot of studying uh, Mazone um, at the time when he was at Arizona State. And uh, I loved it because it was zone read. And, you know, we threw in all the stuff we were there with speed option and stretch read and stuff. So what we did is we kind of started teaching our offense in, in like parts. You know, we quitted doing the whole part whole theory. And so what we started to do is we started to focus on our skill guys in the run game first because we build ourselves on a run game, um, inside, outside zone. You know, we'll run power, we'll run some counter. But when we run power and counter, it's all stretch read game. You know, we don't line up and run true power offense. You know, we don't, we're not really going down, down, kick and, and rap and stuff. It's all on our read game. But uh, what we do that makes us special is we, I, I think is because we teach this part system. And so basically when we get in a new kid as a freshman, we teach them and our skill guys pass. So like for us inside zone only is called one thing. And we have a signal for that one thing. 
And so off of that inside zone path, we can run ISO, we can run inside zone, we can run zone read, we can run, uh, we can run uh, counter tray, we can run true power if we wanted to, and we tag it with everything. So our quarterback and running back only really need to know path. Um, our tags tell them what we're doing. So, you know, for us to run a quick RPO, we would call inside zone and we'd call look and then a pass route for us. And so what we've done is we've gotten our O-linemen now um, separately with our signals in our whole office to where they only need to know if they're blocking inside zone, outside zone, counter, power, um, or trap. And so those guys work on those schemes against a three-man front and a four-man front over and over in practice after fundamentals. And so no matter what look we get, you know, we've kind of mismatched. So, you know, the good thing for offense that has to happen is our offense coordinator – which is me and our guy who signals for the offensive line have to be in sync because we put it all together in kind of a uh, grab bag type of thing. But we are inside zone, outside zone. Um, you know, in 13, we averaged 29 and 14, 36 points. 15, we averaged 47. And then the big thing is when 15, all of a sudden the yardage in the play start happening. When we really clicked after going to this style in 14, in 2015, you know, we averaged 531 yards a game. 317 on the ground and 47 points. We set a state record for yards per game. The next year we followed up at 532 and then 313 yards on the ground with 50.1. Well, then we went into years and then we had Brees Hall. And then all of a sudden that was getting real sexy and we started having some kids show up. Brees Hall shows up in his senior year in 2018. We averaged 579 yards a game, 384 on the ground averaging 55.8 yards, uh, 55.8 points per game. So, you know, Coach, what we do is, is we go as fast as we can go. You know, people are like, Coach, when you're running tempo, are you trying to find the three technique on the inside zone? Are you trying to find this? I go, no. I am simply trying to find a way to put the pedal to the metal and take the defensive coordinator out of the game. I want to play 15, 16, and 17-year-olds because I always believe the guy standing across from me is smarter than me. And so if I can take that guy out of the game, um, I'm going to win, you know, and we see it all the time. You can ask Mark when we run one play at him, Mark will dial up what he wants to and kick our butt in practice. It's frustrating for me. We're over there just getting our lunch. But when we start getting in our tempo and their defense is still lining up and we're running the next play and all of a sudden we're gassing people, you know, that's what puts the frustration on. If, if we had film up today, I could show you probably 80 snaps this year of there's not a guy with his hand in the dirt from the defense they're still trying to line up as we're running the next play. So, Coach, how do you, how do you practice for that, um, that uncertainty of where they're going to be? Obviously, you've got, uh, I'm sure, schemes with the inside zone uh, and outside yeah. zone. But, you know, as a guy that I like to get there and, and card, okay, this is the front you're going to see. They might slant. They might blitz. Let's get that carded up. Let's show them that. <laughs> how do you guys – how do you get them? But then – so, we try to run a little bit of hurry up. So – you're like, oh, do I tell them just line up like this again? But then they are set. And then it's hard for me as an offensive line coach to teach that scheme. But also, hey, they may not be lined up. They could be anywhere. How do you guys get, get through that and coach that? We call it controlled chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do is we never practice team um, as a whole team. We never have our quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and O-line together at all, ever. Practicing – against a defense 
So what we do is we break up, you could call it basically inside run, we call it perfect place, where we'll start and when we break off the fundamentals, the first 10 minutes of practice, um, our offensive line works what we call our, our zone period versus our slaw dogs. And we call our slaw dogs, it's just a term I got being a young coach a long time ago, we throw whoever Mark doesn't need into a basket and all of a sudden you make coleslaw out of it. Well, those where our slaw dogs come from. And uh, our, def- our offensive coaches do a good job and they separate them into two defenses. So after we run a play, that next defense comes in and lines up somewhere else as we're practicing. Now that tempo that we're practicing at isn't fast, but we probably in 10 minutes will work every inside zone, outside zone blocking scheme play. Um, we'll practice and probably get about 45 to 50 snaps into that 10 minute period. And I mean, it's, it's simply to get our guys on film so that they know what to correct when that defense lines up in that. I mean, we don't care if we're playing a four, two, five team, we don't care where that, those two interior D linemen are. We tell them to line up in a three, a two, a two eye, a shade. And so that we can work again. So, you know, going in and scouting, if we're scouting you, I really need to know two things. How are you playing three by one and what's your defensive end doing? You know, if your defensive end squeezing, you've got to be rock and rolling with your inside backer to play quarterback. If you're good, um, if you're not good, you're going to have your defensive end uh, squeeze and your inside linebacker isn't going to rock and roll, you know. Um, but that, those are the real things we look at. And so after that, then we'll break it up into like a screen period where we do a lot of Tony Franklin-esque screen game. And so we'll go five minutes where the whole offense will come together by themselves, no defense. And we'll work tempo in that five minutes. And I'll just call every screen we got or a perimeter run just to get our guys running. And we use that for conditioning. And then that next 10-minute period, we'll come back in and we'll run a, uh, our power and our one-back power stuff, our, our read game uh, with our power series against a four-man front and a three-man front with a whole bunch of different looks. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get our kids to play at a fast tempo where we can literally tell our guys in the middle of the year, we don't care what they line up in. You know how to block it. You know the rules. You know how to block a three-man front and a four-man front because of our rules. You see it every day, so nothing's panicked. And when we started doing that back in 15 is when we really went to it. I mean, if you look at our yards per game and our points, there's a reason why um, it's like that. Our kids, we feel like we do a really good job for Monday and Thursday. I know a lot of people say that, but the amount of time we put into practice preparation and game planning throughout the week, um, I I think is second to none. Um, I I feel like Friday sometimes – are boring. I would rather work Monday through Thursday. I had a coach that I coached under named Rick Wheeler, who used to always tell me he hates games when I was young. I go, you hate games? This is crazy. He goes, yeah, I love the preparation from Saturday to Friday night until you're getting ready to play. And I never realized that until I started getting older is that, you know, it's always about the process and getting kids to uh, perform and I think that's what we do because then, you know, after that five minutes, after that 10-minute segment, you know, we go into our punt where our offense doesn't come off the field. Our offense actually punts. Um, and after that five-minute period of punt team, then we go into our counters and our read game off of counters. And so we've kind of put everything in 30 minutes. Uh, basically, it looks like inside run, but it's all perfect place for us with tempo against every defense that we'll see uh, that you could humanly possibly line up in.
That's awesome. So do you guys do you guys move the ball when you do that? That's my other big question with it. I mean, do you stay where you are and have them hurry back to the line of scrimmage always on the 15? Or are you guys moving down the field during that uh, basically no, inside the, run? The, yeah, no, I get it. No, the ball never moves for us in that drill because we. I hate wasting time for my center running to the left hash all the way back over to the right because if you think about it, when you're only working, so like a lot of time we base out of 20 personnel, but out of 20 personnel – in the past, we've been able to get an 11 and 10 personnel formations without substituting. Right. And so we're always staying within those games. Without those wide receivers, you don't have to really spend a lot of time about guys switching back and forth from twins to each side or whatever. And so we literally – I'll make a call sheet, and, and, and guys on our staff just laugh at me because we go through this methodical play call sheet um, on Sunday where we put everything we like, you know, how – you know, slot and how they're going to line up and split. And we want to run this to this side. We want to run this to this side. Well, that script is how I script practice. I don't go out there on a script with a piece of paper that tells me to run uh, split left, you know, inside zone, read, right, you know, look two. I don't have anything like that. I just take my call sheet and I'll use a color code chart to where I'll, I'll literally line up with the formation and I'll highlight um, in yellow what inside zone plays I want to run that day out of every formation. And then I'll come back and I'll run a blue highlighted for our, uh, for all the power runs and reads I want to do. And then for purple, all our counters and stuff. So I, I'm sitting there literally reading through my chart in my play call sheet where I want us and what to run. And so for us, it's just, and then the next day I flip it and I'll run the same play, but flip the formation and so we literally do not move and we try to get through as many plays as we can perfectly uh, before I guess I could explode. <laughs> so, Coach, when you guys are doing that too, is it all, you know, you're either handing it off or the quarterbacks run it. When you say read, are you including RPOs with that as well? Yeah. So what we're doing is like, we do a lot of like, when I say RPO, like, am I ever going to run inside zone and quarterback's going to pull it and then hitch up and run a hitch? Most of our RPO game is we'll motion a back out of the backfield or we'll run like a quick screen to one, two, or three um, in our RPO game. I'm one of those guys that believes when you're a spread offense and you're a heavy run, the minute I give my quarterback the option to throw the ball, he's thrown it. And so uh, I, I, uh, I always laugh and everyone's like, Coach, how much RPO you do? I said, man, I, the only RPO I use is I use it more of as a triple option. Because I know I might as well just call pass play. I might as well just call play action because my quarterback's throwing it. Because they always give me some bullshit excuse. Coach, well, I saw this. Yeah. I'm like, you, know, this is nice. you didn't see shit. You just decided to throw freaking Houston because we're running the ball for 380 yards a game and you wanted to get your one completion in today. So uh, I have a lot of fun with our quarterbacks and that. I mean, we'll run them. You know, we'll try to run some quick game, um, some intermediate stuff off the inside zone and stretch. But at the end of the day in a game, I know my quarterback's going to throw it. So when I want him that, I'll call play action instead based off inside zone, outside zone. <laughs> and it probably speeds things up too. you get more plays in practice. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. You don't have to go pick up a ball that blows yeah, the chances to freaking 80 yards down the field because our quarterbacks aren't smart enough to take two balls over to the drill. They only got to have one, you know, because we're just perfect all the time, you know. <laughs> Coach, I know too. I mean, you know, I, I had a chance to meet Brees uh, at Nebraska. We'd gone up in the spring, and I know he was in on a, on a junior day, I think. But you know, obviously a phenomenal young man. But I mean, you take a look at like his stats. I mean, 
you guys do a phenomenal job too. I think obviously you get a great athlete like him and you guys have great, you know, tailbacks year in and year out, but you're also getting those guys involved in the pass game. What are some things you do, you know, with wheel routes and things like that to, you know, get those guys on the edge too? Our number one motto in our offense is to get to get the fast guy, the ball in space. And if you can have that motto to do that, you're going to be successful. So a lot of the stuff that you see Brees doing with Iowa State, we did with Brees. Um, you know, when we had Brees, <clears throat> Brees had, I mean, hey, I thought I had big extra large hands. I mean, I think Brees wears a 2XL glove. He's got these big old man hands, you know, that, you know, you, you just had a mismatch. You know, he's six foot two, 215 pounds. And in high school and in Kansas, I mean, if you split him out, somebody, he's going to go up against a 5'6", 140-pound corner or a 5'8". 160 pound corner that he's going to out jump because you know Brees could jump out of the gym too. He really thought of himself as a hooper. But uh, you know, for us, what we do in our passing game, you know, our quick games are all cities. Our our uh, compliments off our quick game, our mascots, and then our states are like our multi level like air raid stuff, like mesh and and shallow, and you know, our backs. We're always trying to find a way to get our backs and most of them out of the backfield and get them on some divide routes and some switches, what we call wheel routes with those guys and you know our running back this year who's you know undecided right now he's got a couple offers to northern illinois and western michigan he uh had a couple big plays off of switch routes and stuff in the backfield but you know what we're seeing though right now is with us going tempo if it's a passing down a lot of teams are just sending simulated pressure you know they're they're just throwing whatever you know because because of that we've done a good job of keeping our running back in and really exploiting some things off our our quick screen game with our backs, you know, whether it's a, a jailbreak to him on the outside or a inside screen game with him. So, you know, we try to get those guys involved in the passing game. Um, the past couple of years, we haven't had that guy like Brees that could really go out and catch the ball on a wheel route or on a, or a swing round stuff. But, you know, the couple of young guys that we have, will be, be, will be back into that stuff these next couple of years. Cause when you got to keep a guy in, cause sometimes that quarterback, you know, you, you guys around high school kids, you know, sometimes if that quarterback doesn't trust throwing that ball to that kid, he could be wide open. He's not going to throw it. And so we've had that a couple past couple of years. But, um, you know, we like to do that stuff as much as possible. And, you know, with all the different formations and tempo and stuff, anytime we can sneak that back out is, is a plus because a lot of times guys are losing their eyes in the backfield and trying to figure out what's going on. Coach, I played in a no-huddle offense in college, and, and I think the thing that you always hear about it um, is – is that they have trouble scoring in the red zone or, or in the from the 10 in. Uh, obviously, listening to your scores, you guys don't have much of a problem with that. How do you – what do you think it is that you guys are doing? What do you try to do to um, to have that not be a weakness in that in that offense? Um, coach, I think it all starts with guys like you. I, I think O-linemen and O-line coaches are the guys that teach that mentality. And, you know, I, there's a lot of times where – you know, we don't – if you come and watch a practice, our line does not look like they're getting ready in a pass set. You know, we are white-knuckling all the time. Um, everybody knows we're run first. And so, you know, I, I think the thing that we resemble a lot is, you know, we really could be a wishbone team or a flexbone team real fast uh, with our mentality. And I think it's mentality that people get in there. But I'll be real honest with you. There's times where I would rather score from 20 yards out than get inside the red zone. Um, because all of a sudden that field starts to shrink, you know, and all of a sudden on third down, there's 
your play action passing game, which we rely on heavily, you know, gets reduced down. There's only so many things you do, you know, counter boot pass and maybe a backside uh, uh, deal off a stretch and stuff. So you start really getting limited in play calling other than running the ball down there. And so, you know, that's kind of for us, we, you know, we have a five minute per- period where we call specials and, you know, we work on some inside the 10 passing game, some trick plays and stuff like that, just to keep it creative. But I think really our thing in success in the red zone has to come with our mentality with our line is that, you know, we're not telling those guys to, uh, you'll never see our guys in a two point stance. Um, you'll never see our offense line with a, basically their index finger barely touching the turf. I mean, our guys are rocked forward, you know, a big hip bend, a big ankle and knee bend. Cause you know, we tell guys you got to move people. Whether it's horizontally or vertically, I don't care. But you better move people out of the damn way. I love it. That's a great attitude. And coach, uh, running up on an hour, it, it kind of you know. But before we let you go, it runs into uh, what I always love to ask guys. Our last question, which is, uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line, coach? Well, number one, I think it's all about pad level. Um, you know, there's there's a, such an appreciation of mine that loves seeing teams come out flat back and just moving people. I mean, that's the first thing you watch when you watch an offense is that you want to see uh, people getting off the ball and striking people. You know, I think with people now and going through this three-man defense, you know, everything's coming back to that 52 now. And now, you know, it's, it's kind of the circles coming on. And, you know, that, those are the things I look at. You know, I, I like to see extra effort. You know, we, we had a lineman named Javon Wheeler um, that was 5'10", 260 pounds, that would run upfield on big, long outside zone plays. If you watched Tabrice's highlight film, you would see a lineman out running out down the field trying to decapitate safeties and corners because that was fun to him because instead of banging his head and getting a concussion every day, you know, uh, beating the hell out of each other, another D lineman. So I love to see the extra effort, the blocking down the field, uh, the blocking on the back side uh, of maybe an outside zone play to the right and your left tackle is running like hell to get a backside zone cut off then uh, to spring that because, you know, of all the charts that we see in our plays where we get tackled for maybe a 20-yard gain is it's always a backside defensive lineman or a backside linebacker that one of our linemen quit too early and didn't stick on the ball to explode him for an explosive run. So for me, it always starts pad level and then extra effort for me is what I look for in other offensive lines. Coach, man, I've been lucky enough to, you know, meet you a couple of times in person and listen to you uh, to talk. And, and every time, man, it, I, I learn something. It's always fun. You know, love your passion for the game. Love how much you care about guys. And, and obviously, you know, the, the job you do developing, you know, your young man and your coaches is, uh, is second to none, man. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. This is the first one we've, uh, we've had a chance to re-record now after the, uh, the COVID season. And you were a guy that was super high on our list, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, you know, that's what, when you guys called me, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I love listening to you guys' podcasts and stuff. And I said, I'm never going to get invited to run the power, man. I, I don't run power. And Mark was laughing at me the other day. I go, I sent Brady a message. I go, what the hell you want me to talk about? We're running inside outside zone. And, you know, I can't run power. I can't run power counter because my defense coordinator blitzes all the time. So I just run zone at him and practice an outside zone because, we suck at power and counter because all we're doing is getting blitzed out in the summer. And so uh, I, it, was, it was fun to come on and talk to you guys, Brady. It's always a pleasure when we run into each other. Um, it doesn't look like I get to come up to Iowa's convention this year, even though 
with this COVID. It looks like we're all going to be digital. So anytime yep. I can jump on here and listen to you guys, you guys are doing great things for the football community. And, you know, hopefully we can come down and look at the little chamois you got down there in Tulsa now. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.